right. So Luke 15, verse 11 through 32. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son was dead. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered and said, to answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his son, this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. One of the most famous stories in the Bible is this one, and very few stories in the Bible um, give us a clearer or a more moving picture of what the only God is really like. I wonder what you think of. I wonder what image crops into your mind when you think about God. When you think about God, what image or what's your first thought? Uh, Maybe even especially when you've made a mess of things in your life, when you've broken a commandment and you know it. When you feel guilty, when you feel ashamed, when you are guilty, when you feel bad about yourself, in those moments in your life, what do you think the look on God's face is when he looks down on you from heaven? Anger? Is God frustrated with you? Is his look just one of mild to strong irritation? Is his look one of indifference? Or does God look at you with delight? I think we struggle to believe the real God, the only God is a God that looks upon us 
and the look on his face is one of delight. But let me tell you something, if you can get that reality, if you can get that reality about God's love worked deep into your heart, worked deep into your spiritual self, it really can, it really can change your life. The power of this story, as the Spirit works, shows us just that. We're continuing this series called Meals with Jesus. Last week, we looked at one of Jesus's parables, the parable of the banquet, which is a meal within a meal. Um, And today, we're looking at another parable that ends with another meal, another feast, the feast of the father celebrating his younger son's homecoming. And this parable goes a long way. It goes a long way in showing us what God is really like and what God thinks about us. And again, knowing about the people that Jesus spoke to originally when he told this story is really important if you're going to grasp its meaning. If you have a Bible, you can look at the very beginning of chapter 15 and see in verses 1 and 2, we read that Jesus is around tax collectors and sinners, the quote, bad people, the irreligious people of his day. They're gathering around Jesus. They loved Jesus, in fact. He was attractive to them. So they're the first half of his audience, the irreligious people. But the second half of Jesus's audience is seen there in verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes who are grumbling. They're grumbling about Jesus. They're saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus is telling this story to them as well. In fact, they're the primary target audience. Jesus hears the Pharisees grumbling, and then verse 3 tells us he told them these three parables that we find in chapter 15. That's important for you. Religious people, good people, nice people, that's who Jesus is talking to in this story. You might have heard this story taught on before, and it's usually even called, your Bible might even call it, the parable of the prodigal son or the younger son. But there's two sons in this story. And in fact, the main son that Jesus is interested in exposing is not the younger, it's the older. Tim Keller, in his great book on this story called The Prodigal God, writes this, the targets of this story are not wayward sinners, but religious people who do everything the Bible requires. I like that, but I would just add that no matter who you are this morning, Jesus, through this story, is talking to you. The Bible reads you more than you read the Bible. The Bible is something that understands your heart and who you really are, and this story is intended to speak to you today. This is not just sort of an intellectual exercise that you come in here every Sunday for 30 minutes. This is a way that God wants to expose you to who he really is. This is a story for all of you. Kind of like Treebeard in The Lord of the Rings. When two hobbits are talking with Treebeard, they ask him, Treebeard, what side are you on? And Treebeard responds by saying, I'm not altogether on anybody's side because nobody is altogether on my side. But there are some things, of course, whose side I'm altogether not on. Jesus is like Treebeard. He's not altogether on the side of the religious and he's not altogether on the side of the irreligious. He was talking to all of them. This message is for all of them. And this message is for you. So let me get you to the main idea. Here we go. God loves to forgive. God loves to forgive both the sinners and the self-righteous. That's the main point. God loves to forgive both the sinners and the self-righteous. Three points as we move through this story. First, the sinful younger brother, then the self-righteous older brother, and then the true older brother. Sinful younger brother, self-righteous older brother, the true older brother. Okay, so first, Jesus tells us about the sinful younger brother. Look in the story. 
there's a guy that has two sons, and then the first thing we read is that the younger brother comes to his dad and says, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Now, in that culture, um, the inheritance would have been divided like this. The older son would have gotten two-thirds of everything that his dad owned, and the younger son would have gotten one-third. But that inheritance, as you might understand, only comes when the dad dies. So what is the younger son saying here? He's saying, basically, Dad, I want my inheritance now. And if you can read between the lines, it's really an incredibly insulting and an incredibly harsh thing to say. He's basically saying, Dad, I wish you would die now. You're no good to me now, Dad. In fact, I just basically see a dollar sign above your head. That's the way I view you. And I'd like to go ahead and cash in now on the dollar value that I've attached to your life. This younger brother, it's very clear, wants immediate self-gratification at the expense of other people, especially his dad. It's an ugly picture. It's a picture of selfishness. It's a picture of sin. You know, that's what sin really is. Sin is not just you doing bad things. And it's also not just you failing to do good things. Sin is the condition of your heart when you're wishing your father did not exist. Your heavenly father. Sin is the condition of your heart when you really functionally are an atheist, pretending that your dad isn't up there and that he doesn't care for you. That's what this younger son is showing us. So his dad gives him the money, and we read that the son goes into a far country. A far country. That phrase has really deep biblical undertones. He goes into exile. The younger son goes away from home. That's what rebellion against God the Father is. That's what sin is. Sin is leaving home. Sin is trying to find meaning and fulfillment and happiness somewhere other than in God. So the younger brother tries to do it. He parties like a rock star. He goes full Charlie Sheen on his latest bender, right? Uh, we read he squandered his property in reckless living. He blows through the money. He blows through the drugs. He blows through the women. And he does it quickly. And he finds himself, verse 14, in need. In need. He's broke. So he has to get any job he can find. He probably can't pass a drug test. So he has to go work for a farmer, feeding pigs. And he takes whatever cash he can get under the table, I'm certain. And one day he finds himself so hungry that he longs for the pods the pigs ate, verse 16. Then Jesus says, he came to himself. Sitting there in the pig trough, filthy, hungry, wondering what his life has come to. He came to himself. It's as if he's had an awakening, a moment of clarity, a realization that, you know what, my life doesn't have to go down this path. He remembers his dad's house, verse 18. He says to himself, how many of my dad's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. You see, the younger brother begins to at least feel his own need. He's spent all his money. He's had the women. He's had the substances. He's partied. He's lived the life, but he's still unsatisfied. He's still miserable. So we decide he's going to leave. He's going to leave the far country, and he goes back home. He tells himself, verse 19, I'm going to go back to my dad and I'm going to admit I was wrong, that I forfeited my right to be his son. And so I'm going to say, dad, make me like one of your hired servants. So he understands something at this point about sin. He understands where his leaving his father's house has brought him, but he doesn't yet really get his father. 
he doesn't yet really understand his dad. When he says, dad, make me like a hired servant, a lot of commentators and Bible scholars have noted that that's a really specific request that the younger brother's asking. Hired servants would have been people that worked and um, lived on the father's estate. They would have earned a wage. They would would have had families, but they weren't a part of the family. And so here's the son's mindset. He's thinking, I know I've disgraced my family name. I know I've disgraced my reputation. In fact, I've disgraced the whole community. As far as the community is concerned, I am dead to them. As the father himself says in verse 24, my son was dead, but now he's alive again. The rabbis of that era, they taught that if you had violated community standards to the level that this younger son has, you can't just apologize. An apology is insufficient. You also had to make restitution. You had to pay. So the son's going to say to his dad, Father, I know I don't have a right to come back into your home. I know I can't be in the family anymore, but at least apprentice me to one of your hired men so I can learn a trade and earn a wage, and then at least I could begin to pay off my debt. So he heads back home. And imagine this, pictured in your mind. He's walking down the street from the far country, back into his neighborhood, back to his dad's estate, and he's repeating over and over again in his head the speech he's going to make to his father just so that he'll get it just right. He's hoping his dad will at least let him live on the family estate. Look what happens. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran, parentheses, Jewish estate owners in the first century do not run. They don't run. That's way beneath them. But this dad takes off in a dead old man sprint. And he embraces his son and he kisses him. And the son can't even get the speech out before his dad interrupts and says to his servants, verse 20, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it. We're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate. For my son was dead, but he's alive. He was lost, but he's found. What is the father like? What is the father like? His dad loves him. His dad forgives him. His dad actually delights to see his wayward son come home. He welcomes him back, literally with open arms, fully as his child. The younger brother knew that there was food to spare at his dad's house, but until this point, he did not understand that there's grace to spare as well. That's what God is like. That's what God is like. That's how God treats prodigals who come to their senses and want to go back home. That's how God welcomes people who repent, even as they stumble their way drunkenly to the doorstep and pass out. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? Do you believe that God will receive you back fully? All of you. It doesn't matter what parts of the far country you've explored. It doesn't matter what time in your life you've wasted away. It doesn't matter what your failings have been or what your shortcomings currently are. It doesn't matter if you've blown everything. It doesn't matter if you've trashed your youth and your reputation and your family's reputation. What is God like? God doesn't have hired servants. He only has sons and daughters. God does not have hired servants. 
But some of you think that that's the best you can get from him. Some of you think, the best plea bargain I can make with God, if he really knew what I was like, is that maybe he would hire me on so that I could work for him. But that's not true. God wants you as his child. He wants you as a son or daughter. God is really the prodigal one in this story. God is the one chasing his wayward children. He's prodigal in his love. He's prodigal in his grace. I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. Um, There's a story about a young lady who had just begun to experience what God is really like, and she was realizing that the way she had always viewed God was based on her relationship with her earthly father. Not an uncommon thing, by the way. I'm sure that's true with many of us as well. And she had a particular experience from her childhood that had stuck with her about her dad. Her dad had one white shirt that he would wear to work every weekday. And it was on a weekend, and he was getting ready for the work week, and the daughter saw his shirt clean um, in the laundry bin, but still a little bit wet. And so she thought she would help her dad and go hang the shirt out on the clothesline. And so she came in from playing outside and picked up her dad's shirt, and she went and hung it on the clothesline. But in the process of hanging up her dad's shirt, her muddy hands got the shirt filthy and dirty and nasty and really unwearable again. And when her dad came outside and saw his shirt hanging dry on the clothesline, smattered with little paw prints of dirt and mud. He got angry. He yelled at her and he scolded her and he said, how dare you do this to my shirts? Years later, this young lady began to understand what God is like and she realized, I've always thought the Father in heaven is like my dad in that moment. When I've tried to please him, really all I can do is give him a dirty, soiled shirt. And so he's mad and frustrated, disappointed and angry. But now I've come to understand what God is really like. If the real God was in the situation that my father was in in that story, he would have taken the shirt and he would have said, thank you for hanging this shirt out to dry for me. And not only that, he would have put the shirt on and he would have worn it to work the next day and said, do you see what my daughter did for me? That's what God's like. God's more full of grace than you are of sin. He loves you that much. He receives back into the fullness of family life any who will come to him in repentance and in faith. Do you know that? We grow up up and live in a very religious place. And oftentimes that is actually what blinds us from seeing what God's really like. He chases down and receives freely the younger brother's. That's act one. It's a beautiful picture of the forgiveness of God, of the love of the Father for sinners, but it's not the end of the story. In fact, the story reaches its summit here in act two, verse 25, when the older brother enters the scene. So look at how Jesus tells the story. It's ingenious storytelling, by the way. The older brother hears the sound of music and dancing. The older brother hears joy The older brother hears happiness. The older brother hears a celebration. He hears a party. And the older brother does not like it one bit. He begins to get suspicious. The older brother here reminds me of some really bad definitions of the Puritans. I was taught many times that Puritanism is the fear that someone somewhere might be having a good time. It's the fear that someone somewhere might be having a good time. A lot of you think that's what Christianity is. The fear that someone somewhere might be having a good time. That's not Christianity. Christianity is the party going on in the house. 
Christianity is the feast of the Father. The older brother's spirit is not the spirit of grace. It's the spirit of law, the spirit of shame, the spirit of legalism. Celebration and joy irk the older brother. He's the grumpy one outside the door. How do we know he's upset? Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Verse 28, he finds out what's caused the party to start. His younger brother has come home. And his father's killed the fattened calf, thrown the party of the year because his brother's back home, safe and sound. And then Jesus tells us a couple of things, two things I want to mention about the older brother. First, the older brother's angry. And look at what he's angry at. He's angry at grace. He's angry at grace. Verse 28. Verse 28 says, he was angry and refused to go in. He wants no part, no part of this celebration of his brother's return. He's like the Pharisees that are sitting there listening to Jesus tell the story. He understands the language of grace. He could probably define grace according to the best theological dictionary by, def- or by memory. What he doesn't understand is the experience of grace, the power of grace. Jesus says he's angry. He won't go in. He's so angry, in fact, that he won't even acknowledge his relationship with his brother. Look at verse 30. When this son of yours came. When this son of yours came, why is he so angry? What is going on with this guy? Why such a grouch? Why such a grouch? What's going on in his heart? He lives on the ladder. We've been talking about that throughout this series. Some of you view life as a ladder, and the goal is to get as close to God on the ladder as possible to make sure you're above other bad, sinful people. This Older brother measures, he measures everything and sees the world in terms of what people deserve. Here's what he's saying to himself, and I know you'll be able to understand it. Hey, dad, wake up. If anyone deserves a party, if anyone deserves to be celebrated, dad, it's me. It's not this sinner who took off and abandoned everything so he could waste his life and our reputation away. If you're going to kill the fattened calf for one of, your, one of your kids, dad, it shouldn't be the son who's left. It should be me. I'm the one who's been responsible. I'm the one who showed up for work every day. I'm the one who's been going to church and representing the family. I'm the one. I'm the one who's taking on the family business with all of our debt. I'm the one who needs a little recognition. I'm the one who deserves a little respect. I'm the one who could use just one word of thanks, son, but no, dad, no. You throw a party for him, for him. He's dead to me. He's angry at grace. He's angry at the forgiveness of the father. And here's why. It's because he fails to, he fails to, see, he fails to see that the love of his dad is never a matter of deserving. It's always a matter of mercy. The love of his father is never a matter of deserving. It's always a matter of mercy. Are are you the older brother? Is that you? Do you feel like if you just got a little bit more credit, you could be happier? Are you always angry? Always grouchy? Does what you deem to be the unfairness of the world drive you nuts? Do you say you forgive someone, but you still hold a grudge? Is your life a constant comparison with other people? You need to come home. The older brother's angry at grace. Secondly, the older brother's living in slavery just like the younger brother. Isn't that interesting? Look at what he says to his dad. 
all these years I have served you. Weak translation. Better translation. All these years I have slaved. Slaved away for you, Dad. Verse 29, I've never disobeyed your command. What does that mean? The older brother is not serving his dad because he loves his dad. The older brother is serving his dad because he loves himself. He's serving his dad because he loves himself. I mean, really, the older brother is exactly like the younger brother. At the core of their hearts, they're identical. The older brother is just as selfish. He's just as hard-hearted. He's just as calloused. He's saying internally exactly what the younger brother said externally in verse 12. Give me my share of what is mine now, dad. He doesn't love his father. He loves what his father can do for him. The younger brother showed that he didn't love his dad by living this immoral life, by running away. The older brother shows it by living a life of complete control and self-discipline so that he can be higher up on the ladder. But they're both alienated from the father. Both of them. Do you see that? The elder brother won't go to the party because he says, I have never disobeyed you, dad. I'm not like that kid. I'm not like this son of yours. Jesus is saying here, he's saying to you right now, that the elder brother's not in danger of losing his father's love because he's been bad. The elder brother's in danger of losing his father's love because he's been good. He's in danger of missing out on the party, not in spite of his goodness. He's in danger of missing the party because of his goodness. Listen to Tim Keller again. He says, it's not his sins that create the barrier between him and his father. It's the pride he has in his moral record. It's not his wrongdoing, but his pretended righteousness that is keeping him from sharing in the feast of the father. There was a movie that came out in the 80s uh, called Amadeus about Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, the great musician and composer. And uh, Amadeus's foil and foe in this film is a young man named Salieri. Salieri is also a very gifted musician who is dutiful and respectful and kind. And the film very early on shows us Salieri early in his life making a vow with God, a treaty with God, you might say. He says this, I would offer up secretly the proudest prayer a boy could think of. Here's what I would pray. Lord, make me a great composer. Let me celebrate your glory through music and be celebrated myself. Make me famous throughout the world, dear God. Make me immortal. And in return, God, I promise I will give you my chastity, my industry, my deepest humility every hour of my life. And I will help my fellow man all I can. Amen and amen. And so Salieri begins his life under this vow. And he does it. He's a great musician. He receives a lot of accolades, a lot of honor, a lot of respects. He keeps his hands off of women. He helps the poor. He gives away a ton of money. But then Mozart shows up. <laughs> then Mozart shows up. And Mozart is the classic younger brother. He's profligate. He's not a hard worker. He sleeps with women all the time, even though he's engaged. He's vulgar. He's self-indulgent. But he is an unbelievably gifted musician. 
He's an unbelievably gifted musician, clearly superior to Salieri, and Salieri can't stand it. Later in the movie, he says of Mozart, this is incomprehensible. Here I am denying all my natural lust in order to deserve God's gift. And there's Mozart indulging his lust in all directions, even though he's engaged to be married and no rebuke at all. And the movie ends with Salieri saying to God, Salieri looking up to heavens and saying, from now on, we are enemies, you and I. From now on, we are enemies. That's the way people who can talk about grace and define grace and study grace and teach grace, but who have not experienced grace, live. Christians are people who have experienced grace. Christians are people who, whether they are more like the older brother or more like the younger brother, see the reality of their own situation before God. They have debts they can never pay. They deserve to get kicked out of the house. And they plead for God's mercy. Christians don't bring any deservedness to the bargaining table with their father. They don't bring their resume hoping he'll be impressed. They ask for pardon. Is that you? If it isn't you, you're probably just an older brother. Christians don't just repent of their wrongdoing. Christians repent of the reasons they ever tried to do anything right in the first place. So the question is, will you enter the party? Will you enter the feast of the Father? Isn't it interesting that Jesus ends the story on a cliffhanger? Is the older brother going to go in or not? We need to say one more thing. The true older brother. The story ends with uh, the dad pleading with the older brother. Verse 31, son, you are always with me. And look at this last line. What a profound line. What a striking phrase. All that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. That struck me to the core this week. And here's why. Older brothers lose nothing. (laughs) Older brothers lose nothing by receiving the younger brother and joining the celebration. The older brother just needs to realize that he is already an heir. He's already a part of the family. But it's not because he did something to deserve it. It just is because he was born into the home of his father. It's not because he earned it. It's because his dad loves his kids. That's what we must realize. The anger and the self-righteousness of older brothers evaporates and hard hearts are eroded when we see that God is no less gracious with us than he is with the most wicked person on earth. And you are no less undeserving than the most wicked person on earth before God either. The sweetness of grace beckons the older brother here. And the sweetness of grace beckons you and it beckons me. Jesus did not just come for prodigals. He didn't just come for the people that run away. He comes for the people that stay close to God so that they can really avoid God. He came for the professional religious people. He didn't just come for sinners and tax collectors. He came for the scribes and the Pharisees. How do we know that? Well, we know because Jesus is the true older brother. Think about it. In this story, what should the older brother have done when his younger brother ran away? What should he have done? Well, in that culture and in virtually any culture in the world, the older brother should have, at his own expense, gone out and looked for his younger brother. 
and pleaded with him and begged him to come back home. But the older brother in this story doesn't do that because the older brother, as we've seen, is just as lost as the younger brother. They're both alienated from their father. Their sinful hearts just manifest themselves in different ways. They both need the real older brother. That's the point. They both need Jesus, sinners and self-righteous alike. Jesus is the true older brother. Jesus, at his own expense, left his father's house. He left heaven, and he came looking for us. Jesus paid an infinite amount. He paid his own life to remove our debt, to bring us into God's family. No matter who you are, you deserve alienation and isolation and rejection by God. But Jesus took that on himself. The point is, forgiveness always costs something. Someone has to pay to get rid of sin. Our true elder brother paid our debt on the cross in our place. Jesus Jesus gives us the robe that he has so that we can be clothed in it. On the cross, Jesus was treated as an outcast so that we can be brought in. He took God's justice so we get God's mercy. Do you see that? Do you see Jesus in this story? The one who tells the story is really telling you something about himself. He's your older brother who has come looking for you. He's calling your name right now. Right now. So whoever you are, wherever you've been, older and younger brothers and older and younger sisters alike, come home. Come home to the Father through Jesus. Jesus has made restitution. Jesus has provided a way. He's paid everything off. It's free. The Father's waiting for you. Come home. Let's pray.